0: I've been in ministry almost 35 years, and I've never had the opportunity to take a whole month to be able to focus on the subject that we're looking at for the month of October. The subject that we're going to be looking at is a subject um, of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is maybe a theme that is familiar to you. Maybe it's something you don't quite have a context for. Maybe it's something that... You're a little fearful of. But I want you to know, as I've anticipated stepping into the month of October, I've been in prayer because I know that it impacts each one of us in different ways. For me, as pastor, it's very humbling for me to take on such a subject and to take it on not only in light of um, my inadequacies to be able to address it in some ways but because I know it truly impacts our world and our communities and individual lives. And there's a heavy load of responsibility for us not to do the talks well, but for us to live in the reality of that which we're going to be sharing on this month. I'm also mindful of you because you may be someone who um, comes a little apprehensive to this subject. And I by no means, especially when you have a church that's called the Awakening Church, want to put us on the map as somebody that uh, uh, or some body of people that are sort of over on some extreme edge. And so you have apprehension because this is not an over the edge kind of subject, as we're going to talk about today. One of the reasons it's an over the edge kind of subject in many places is because we don't talk about it. But I don't know how that impacts you. And I also know that for some of you, this is going to hit maybe very close to home As we walk through these weeks, some of the subject matter that we talk about, discuss and even in our life groups together, because there is a battle that goes on in your very life. And you may very well have a hard time being seated here during the course of a morning like this. I'm also mindful that uh, we have an adversary. Many of you have been praying for this month, been praying for me. And I want to say thank you. Um, I feel strong and I feel good. Um, but for us as a church, we need to reckon that the adversary who uh, Scripture teaches uh, is like a roaming lion, it says, and he seeks to devour people and things and institutions and cultures, and he's not happy that we're talking on this subject this month. And so I'm very mindful of that entity. But most of all, I'm mindful of our Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the one who defeated our enemy. And we speak today not in hope of victory, but we speak from victory. That we had communion today is quite fitting. Why? Because we remember the work on the cross that Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. And that work wasn't just a simple, hey, dying on a cross because he had compassion for people. There was something happened in the eternal realms, in the spiritual realms, when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And then when he rose from the grave, when he poured out his blood, when his body was broken, which we remember this morning through the breaking of the bread and the taking of the cup. And he has won the victory through the cross. And that Jesus is here with us for this month. And so I'm excited. That as we walk through this month, it's not going to be a month about darkness, but it's a month about light and hope. And I think that's why, that's why I'm excited to share on it. As you're going to find out in the coming weeks, I've been involved fairly uh, intimately in this subject with people throughout the history of my ministry. And every time when I see Jesus break the chains... Off of people's lives that have bound them, and I see them set free. I, I have my heart filled with joy and hope and love for our Savior because He has brought the victory. So, in that regard, I'm mindful of myself, I'm mindful of you, I'm mindful of the adversary, I'm mindful of Jesus. Will you just pray in a moment? Jesus, in your name, through the finished work of Calvary, we just cover this whole room by your shed blood. And um, in that, in a symbolic manner, remind the adversary that he's a defeated foe, all of him and his host, and that this is sanctuary ground, holy ground, ground set apart for you to do the work in our hearts, in our lives, Lord, in our families, in our communities, and in our church. Lord, for your glory, may these words become illuminated in our heart through your spirit, through your scriptures, in your name. We pray. Amen. Well, my particular hope for these three, uh, for these five sessions that we're here on Sunday morning is that we will be able to engage the unseen, that you will be able uh, as a believer in Jesus to be uh, equipped, enabled uh, with the authority that Christ has given you and that you will encounter freedom, whether for yourself or for others. Spiritual warfare, though, as I want to start out, has to begin with some really rock-bottom type of not teaching, but also just encouragement and sort of getting your heart to be open. And so I've entitled this morning, You Have an Enemy. You have an enemy. Some of you may think that your enemy is at work. Some of you may think that your enemy is your neighbor who doesn't do the things you want them to do. You uh, may think that your enemy is a family member who has consistently rejected you or caused problems in your home. You may think your enemy is a friend who has harmed you or scarred you or or, or slandered you in history past. We think of our enemies all over the place. In fact, we look at our culture today and we see one group of people pitted against another group and one individual complaining with another individual. And there's this whole breakdown that's going on in our culture. And we think that there are enemies that reside in the personhoods of those who are around us. But the reality is our enemy is Far greater than the individual, and the individual, when seen in the light of the greater enemy, cannot be always identified as an enemy. They may very well be your friend and someone who God's calling you to encourage. But you need to be able to identify who the real enemy is. You have an enemy, and it's not who you think. That enemy is the adversary. Scripture refers to him as the devil. Satan, fallen archangel Lucifer, all kinds of history that backdrops what we're going to be discussing. And I want you to know that you have to have an open heart when we come to the subject matter of spiritual warfare. And you can't be presumptuous thinking, oh, yeah, I've sort of always thought of that or this. that be true. Or maybe you're resistant and you're not really open to it. But you have to begin rock bottom that there is an enemy. And we're going to look at that. Some of you might be Lord of the Rings fans. J.R.R. Tolkien, a great Christian, he was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Both men masterful in how they would write fiction. And J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the fiction of The Lord of the Rings. And in The Lord of the Rings, uh, it was put into a movie format. And the and the movie, uh, the first. Uh, of the, th- uh, three is the Fellowship of the Rings. How many of you are Lord of the Ring fans? Alright, see, you're dialed in. You're dialed in already. Well, if you recall at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Rings, there is, um, this lady, and she is an actor, Kate Blanchett, but she plays the character of, uh, Godriel. Is that how you pronounce it? Godriel? And is a uh, sort of a mystic, enchanted, wise female individual. And if you listen to the front part, she begins to articulate the world in which the Lord of the Rings takes place. Middle Earth, right? She says this. The world has changed. I see it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was lo- is lost, but none now live who remember it. J.R.R. R. Tolkien is, in a mystical kind of way, describing the reality he sees around that people don't understand the way that the world and the earth is. And he goes into his fictional work, of course, with the Lord of the Rings, and, and you have battles and the rings and all that's involved in that But isn't it interesting that both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, were able to talk about a mysterious realm that was still a real realm. And whether it was the land of Narnia for C.S. Lewis or it was Middle Earth for J.R.R. Tolkien, they were describing something that's beyond maybe what you and I see as individuals. But the world in which we live today, people have forgotten that. One of the books that I've been uh, reading recently is a book by Richard Beck. And it's simply called Reviving Old Scratch. Have you ever heard the term Old Scratch? That is a name that used to be articulated for the devil. What happened to the discussion about the devil? And when you take the devil, an evil personality of being, out of the real realm in which all of uh, the world exists, there's things that happen with the people. In that world, because they have forgotten about the ultimate world. Peter Berger is a um, very smart and intelligent person, and uh, he uh, describes something I want to share with you in a second related to how that um, understanding needs to be brought back into attention and focus. This subject of spiritual warfare is going to be in the context of what we've been talking about for the last month, and that is that we are on a pathway to be disciples of Christ. And Jesus, he called us to himself, and he began to call us into obedience, but he began to equip and encourage in many ways. You cannot take the scriptures and read through the gospel of Mark without realizing that Jesus is aware of a different realm than what we often take as reality in the world in which we live. He began his ministry. After 30 years, he starts in the ministry. What's the first thing that happens to him when he takes some time away into the desert, as God calls him? He is confronted by who? Satan. The temptations of Christ are right up front. And all the way to the end, when he's on the cross, Satan continues To wreak havoc and try to undermine this work of our great Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus knew this, and as He called His disciples to Himself, He began to teach them and instruct them about the unseen realm. And so, one of the places we need to park in our discipleship is this step of freedom. How does Jesus bring freedom in light of the spiritual realm? What about the healings? What about the demonic deliverances that he did? What about the empowerment that he gave to his disciples to go out and to heal the sick, to cast out demons and do the work of the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom of God? There's something going on in all that Jesus is instructing that if we do not speak about this, we are missing out on a key critical part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Again, one of the reasons I'm encouraged to be able to walk through the journey of this month is because I want to circle up around this campfire and have a talk about this subject. And not just talk about it. I want us to to go and to be a part of what Jesus empowered his disciples to do, and that was to set people free. So this whole subject of freedom, healing, deliverance, empowerment, was front and center a part of the disciple-making effort, the apprenticeship that Jesus called them into. But he was mindful that there would be skepticism in his day, even though in his day in the culture in which they lived, there was an understanding of more of a spiritual realm than what we have today in Western contemporary modern culture, or even postmodern culture. And Jesus had to instruct them concerning the evil one and his ways and what to do about that. And so he began to impart that. But he first had to get them to dial into the reality. Peter Berger, who I mentioned, was one of these people who began to try to articulate what it means for us in our culture today. Many of us have a box that we live in, sort of like we're in a box right here, right? We're all in this box. And in this box, in the Western um, modern world, we have uh, been encouraged, sometimes forced, to limit ourselves to think that there's nothing outside the box, Inside the box is the natural realm. There's human beings. There's animals. There's plant. There's matter. All that's a part of the box that we live in is the material universe. And the material universe is all that there is. Yes, there's stars and there's space and it's expanding. But that's it. It's. A scientific mindset that has reduced everything to what can be felt, what can be seen, what can be analyzed, what can be discussed from a visual reality, and anything beyond that is just, well, that's okay for you little folks that would like to believe in that world, but it really doesn't exist Any person that's in an atheistic kind of position would simply say there is no God, there is no supernatural. Peter Berger refers to it that they're living in a world without windows. A world without windows. Are you living in a world without windows? Oh, you may give credence to the supernatural, but pretty much you're in that scientific mindset, and science is a gift from God, science is from God, and so all that's great. But the experience aspect, that there's only public truth, what's known, there's this worldly problems, there's a natural order, there's a secular, that's just thats just all that there is. And so week in and week out, when you leave here, maybe this is the only spiritual thing you do through the course of a week, is to show up at church, and you live in a very secular culture. You live in a world without windows. But just like we are in this room here, and, and it's nice to have all these blinds in this room because we can darken it out, control the light, be able to focus on the pastor or the band, do neat things with colors with the lights, right? We, we like having the blinds down. Think about if you lived in a world without windows, or maybe have you ever heard those stories where somebody, a true, sad, tragic stories where somebody is held captive in a basement or in a container for years, and they don't know that there's an outside world or they remember that there was an outside world, but they forget about it. They've been culturally conditioned to not believe beyond the material universe. So day in and day out, living in a world without windows. But if I was to come over and I was to raise the blind on this window, I could let you know there's a whole world out there. And this world... It's <clears throat> for you to experience and understand, look, there's trees, there's blue sky, there's green grass, right? There's some cars out there. What are those things in a world without windows? In fact, we could raise all the blinds. We could have a whole different kind of experience in here this morning. We could live not in a box that doesn't have any windows to an outside world. We could live in the reality that there is a spiritual realm, a beautiful world that exists alongside of this natural world in which we live. So what do you believe? Do you believe that the natural is all? Oh, you give some credence, but will you open up the window? Realize that there's the supernatural, that there are the heavenly realms, faith, Private truth, otherworldly problems, miracles and sacred are often just aligned by people that say, OK, there is maybe a world outside uh, the visible realm we see. But that's for that world. And uh, that, that's the spiritual world. All right. That's the sacred world. We live in the secular world, so we sort of divide it between these two categories. And so when we come to church on Sunday morning, it's culturally OK to be in a room like this and talk about The devil, evil spirits, a spiritual realm, and heaven. That's what we do in church. It's been relegated to that religion world. The other world. But then when we go to work, we're we're not really going to bring that up. When we talk about some of the tragic evil events that happen in culture and around the world... We probably won't bring up the idea that there's an evil entity that could be behind some of those things. Now, would we? Because that would be a little awkward. It's not necessarily that we're embarrassed. We're just uncomfortable talking about the other realm. Well, here's the problem. That's not even a correct worldview. That's still a modern, progressive, kind of Christian worldview. Okay, there's the supernatural, God and miracles. We'll assign that to the other unseen, invisible world. And that exists. And maybe, you know, we all get to go to heaven if we're a follower of Jesus. That's great. We live not yet in that unseen, invisible other world. We live in this present world, and we deal with what is seen. All right? And so you have this separation between that which is supernatural of God and that which is natural, humans, materials, uh, humans, matter, animals, and plants. Missionaries have had a problem, though, with this worldview when they've been, uh, ported overseas. Because the vast majority of the world does not have this worldview. Historically, even the vast majority of the world has another world. And I don't want to call it Middle Earth. But there is probably one of the foremost missiologists and anthropologists, a very smart person who he served a lot in India and other parts of the world, was a professor here at Fuller Seminary and then at Trinity Evangelical Seminary. His name is Paul Hebert. And he coined a phrase, when he realized how he as a missionary was failing in dealing with the rest of the world because he had a Western worldview and it wasn't working when a majority of the people have another world that is real to them. And Paul Hibbert, he described it as the excluded middle, as the excluded middle. Now, the excluded middle is not the excluded middle and the whole understanding of logic. It's this idea that the excluded middle is that we live in this world where we believe, yeah, there's supernatural in the invisible other world, and we believe in the visible this world. But we do not believe or talk about or minister in this third world, which is the invisible that is in this world. Do you get me? And so he says, anytime you have any discussion of angels or Satan or demon or spirits, it seemed like a weird kind of discussion or that you're on a fanatical edge concerning your spirituality. But vast majority of the world, this is where they understand things to be. And if you can't minister in that context, then you're not going to, Be very successful. In fact, missionaries in the early years were quite good at taking uh, the Western mindset and trying to demythologize what people believed in other countries and in that, porting in a very um, naturalistic worldview. I had the opportunity just a couple months ago to visit with a man who has written a lot on this subject That's one of the advantages of being in Southern California. There's there's some people I can go after that I've read after that live down here. And I went to visit Chuck Craft. Chuck Craft was a missionary in Nigeria for a number of years, but then he became a professor, anthropologist, spoke at some state universities here in California, end up then teaching at Fuller Seminary He's in his 80s, and I asked him if I could come meet with him. I'd read some of his books, and I uh, resonate with a lot that he does in this whole spiritual realm. And uh, uh, we sat down and went to eat, and he tells me, he says, you know, he says, I was so trained and equipped to be a missionary. I went overseas, and I was all fired up and excited about being able to do ministry to the people that, you know, of this, uh, this particular area. And he said, I sat down with some of the leaders and I said, what do you need most? How can I help you? And the first thing that came up is, um, Mr. Kraft, we need you to teach us how to deal with the spirits. And he realized in that moment that he had nothing to say. All of his theological training, he had bypassed any type of discussion or an understanding of how do you deal with the spirits. Do you believe that there are spirits? And do you believe that spirits wreak havoc in people's lives, unclean, fallen uh, spirits, dark spirits are referred to them sometimes. some Do you believe that these spirits exist not out there in some spiritual realm that's untouchable to us, but actually exist in this invisible, this world kind of realm? Or do you have sort of the theology of an excluded middle? We just exclude talking and thinking and believing and ministering with the reality that there are angels, there's demons, there's unclean spirits. There's a real Satan. Are you uncomfortable yet? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to have you meet at the back for anybody that wants to go out and know how to deal with the spirits at the moment, right? But if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, can I ask you something? Why are you hesitant to do that? If Jesus was here, he sent them out pretty quick. To heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God's hand—yo, whoa, that's like big time stuff. That's graduate school, or even that missionary you just talked about—that's postgraduate. I don't know where you picked that stuff up at. But I, me, me, deal with the spirits. Forget that. I'm out of this hiking trip. Why? Why would you have a problem in doing ministry that relates to what? However, it refers to as the excluded middle. Well, i tell you why. There's two main reasons up front. One is ignorance. And the other is fear. Ignorance, because Satan doesn't want his realm to be discovered as he wreaks havoc in earth and on people that you know and maybe in your own life. Shh, shh don't talk about that. Don't do a series on that at church. I mean, there's some other, like, over-the-edge kind of churches. Let those people go there if they want to talk about that. But not at the Awakening. I mean, we're sort of a civilized kind of group here. When Satan, I believed, impressed those thoughts on me, I said, no. We're going to talk about it. I think ignorance is one of the huge culprits today. To why we do not understand about the spiritual realm. Because we don't talk about it. We don't try to understand that there is a supernatural world. Yes, there is that unseen other world. Yes, there is the seen visible this world. But there is an unseen world in our visible world. And we need to know how to deal with it. And our ignorance, I believe, comes from churches not doing a healthy job of teaching on this, not in a weird way, but in a straightforward scriptural, theological manner and an experiential background kind of uh, approach to say this is the world in which we live in Western culture. And I also blame it sometimes on Hollywood. Not Hollywood in particular, but the whole glamorizing sometimes of uh the way that uh the spirit realm is depicted or if there was deliverances and stuff, and so they swing way on the i don't want to say fanatical but demonstrative side, like oh what? so you me talk to, how do you how do you free people from spirits, deal people with spirits if that's for people like you, Carrie, you've got that clergy title going on, right. You don't wear a clerical collar. Maybe you've got a cross you can pull out or something, right? Some holy water. No. Friends, a little wooden stick and holy water don't do squat in the spiritual realm. I'll tell you that right now. But the Lord Jesus Christ can, and he did. And if you're his disciple, you need to know how to take his authority and come up against the evil one. Because that realm is real. Do not have a worldview where you live in a box without windows. Understand that this world is ongoing. Let me describe more of a biblical worldview to do. Biblical worldview is you've got God. God always has been in the beginning was God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, God has always eternally existed. If you think you can try to figure out who created God, then you're going down the wrong path, because if anybody created God, then that person would be God. So God, by definition, has to be then cause-cause of the universe. He's always been. And your little ant-sized mind and mine cannot get around that, because we live in a finite world and try to grab a hold of the things of the infinite world and understand that there's an eternal, self-existent God that's always been. It's just a little bit too much. For our hard drive. For our RAM that's going on. But there was God. And God created. And God created and God... Uh You may question how long creation's been around or whatever. I'm sort of open to thinking through all that because God, he probably had some things going on before he created this earth or remade this earth, whatever it may be, because there is the spiritual realm that's talked about and the angels in the heavens and the fall of Lucifer and all that's discussed in different parts. And so I don't know. God's been around for a long time, forever and ever and ever. But he created And through his creation of the eons of time, he created um, beings. And in this realm, there are loyal and good beings. There were what today we understand as archangels and angels, seraphim and cherubim. And these ministering agents of God's power in the spiritual realm, both the unseen spiritual realm of the other world and the unseen spiritual realm of this world in which we live, um, they entreat, they enlighten, uh, they enliven, they quicken people's spirits, they empower, they come alongside of, all right? You have the good, loyal angels. But then in the heavenly realms, Scripture teaches we might have time to look at it. I know not. If we do, uh, these weeks are going to go by fast. But Scripture records that there was an archangel by the name of Lucifer, and Lucifer fell from the heavenly realms. He tried to have a coup. He thought maybe he should take over some of the worship. He uh, maybe was the worship leader. I don't know. And he says, hey, I, I need some worship here, not just God, right? Worship me. But it references that uh, he fell from the heavenly realms, that his domain, if you will, is to here and roam on this earth. And he took and possibly what scripture refers to a third of those angelic beings and they became fallen angels and fallen, dark angels. I refer to them sometimes are unclean spirits. Uh, it, It references the demons and they're evil and they're rebellious and they continue to wreak havoc and they're. Efforts are to deceive, to tempt, to intimidate, and to destroy. And the battlegrounds by which these two uh, aspects of the good and the evil, and, and please catch me, let me do a cul-de-sac here. The, there is not the theology that there is some great good force called God, and then there's some great evil force called Satan, and they're equally pe- competing against one another. No, that's not the right world view. God is God. He's eternal. He's in control of all things. Even when Job, uh, had, you know, problems in his life in the Old Testament, Satan somehow had to go before God to get permission. I don't quite understand all that. Had a whole semester studying the book of Job once, and I still don't understand it. But in the spiritual realm, Job, uh, was attacked, afflicted from the adversary, but the adversary had to have some type of permissive, uh, request. Uh, taken to god himself so it's not god and evil and these two forces going after not what's what's the little um, circle with the two wing yang kind of things in it they have you know hey that's not the way it is what it is is god created gave free will seemingly at that time to an angelic host They took their free will, a group of them did, and they rebelled against God. They were cast out of the heavenly realms. They weren't destroyed yet or cast into what Scripture says, the lake of fire, but someday they will. And then they were enabled, all right, to wreak havoc on this earth. And the battlegrounds by which they wreak havoc, and four things are listed here, are cultural systems, social systems, individuals, and the inner self. And you see this battle going on everywhere. You have an enemy and it's not who you think. You might think your enemy is a particular dogma or doctrine that's being propagated in your workplace or in our country, politically or otherwise. But if it's a broken system and it's oppressive to people, then we have to go behind that system. We have to go behind the people and we have to say, where does this ideology come from that's unhealthy, that brings oppression to people? whether in our world or in other worlds. So Satan does work through oppressive cultural systems and social systems. And it's very much rightful for us as believers to fight against those broken systems and to be able to work for there to be healthy, good systems culturally, politically, socially around the world. But there's also this aspect that it's just not that they work behind those systems. They work through the people who are in those systems, and they work not just through those people. They work through all of us they can, and we're going to talk more in depth about that in the coming weeks. And so the attack is there in our individual lives. The attack is there upon us as people who uh, we're not pawns necessarily, but there's a battle over us because we're made in the image of God. And Satan doesn't like us being made in the image of God. And so, his goal I can tell you up front what his main ultimate destiny is he wants to destroy people. He wants people to kill themselves. He wants people to kill other people. Because he doesn't like the image of God that's in every created being, human being. Even though we're fallen and we're sinful. We are still beautifully made. That's why you can see someone who's not a believer in Jesus, right? And say, they're just a beautiful, great person. What you're seeing there is common grace, how God has made every human being beautifully in his image. And they're worth redeeming. That's why we fight against abortion, because in the womb, God is creating a beautiful human being made in his image. And they deserve life. The devil's the ones about death. He wants to crush it. And so these are battlegrounds that go on and on. One of the best books you can probably read if you want to on this, and uh, and I know some of you may be challenged, you know, wanting more theology, wanting more scripture, that kind of thing. I encourage you to buy a book called uh, "God at War" by Gregory Boyd. And "God at War" begins to describe uh, more and more of this realm and this worldview. Greg Boyd says this. He's uh, been a professor. Uh, Pastor, he says this, Throughout our investigations and deliberations, I trust concerning writing this book, that it will become increasingly apparent that the understanding of the world as being caught up in a cosmic warfare constitutes one of the central threads that weave together the whole tapestry of the scriptural narrative. God's age-long but not eternal battle against Satan forms one major dimension of the ultimate canvas, against which everything from creation to the eschaton, eternity, within the Bible narrative, is to be painted and therefore understood. What he's saying is, you want a worldview. You want the canvas on which everything's being painted in your life and in the life of the world around us, politically and otherwise, in other countries. The canvas, the backdrop is. A cosmic war. And if you take away that cosmic war as the canvas background, then you're going to find people pitted against one another all over the place. Our warfare is not against the destruction of other people, whether it's in our marriage, in our workplace, or in our politics. We have an enemy, and it's not who you think. And Greg Boyd's great with this. Because he talks about this aspect. If as that cosmic warfare worldview starts to disappear, really all havoc is released on the earth. Hiddenness. Through ignorance, he does not want you to believe that there's a cosmic warfare going on. Now, why is this warfare going on? If Jesus, you know, we took communion here. Are you right? He defeated him at the cross. He rose from the grave. I don't fully understand why God's so gracious and patient. I'd destroyed him right away. I'd cast him in the lake of fire right away that Revelation talks about. But for whatever reason, he's allowing the roaming lion of Satan to be used towards the good in this world. I believe, probably, creating disciples who are overcomers. Because the scriptures say that we will rule and reign through eternity, that we will be co heirs with Christ. And this is boot camp and boot camp doesn't happen in a room without windows. Are you willing to take it on to remove your ignorance, to say, God, give me a worldview and not just as a nice academic study or a Sunday morning message. Give me an understanding of the eternal world. Give me an understanding by which I can take up the cause of spiritual warfare and fight against the enemy. Give me an understanding that's beyond my insecure means. Help me to know, help me to know what ultimate reality, what the canvas is. The Richard Beck who uh, wrote this book, Reviving Old Scratch, he says this, Spiritual warfare energizes your anger but lovingly redirects that anger away from human beings and toward a common enemy. Spiritual warfare gives us a vision of how human beings can become captives to larger unseen forces that trap us in a perpetual conflict. We come to see how all of us are being manipulated as pawns in a larger game, a game that is continually pushing us towards violent, hateful confrontation. Focusing upon these larger things forces, these larger forces creates a capacity for mercy. We follow Jesus' example as he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It was in the fall of my third year of graduate school that I had my boxes blown away and I had windows put into my world. I'm a graduate school setting to go in the ministry. I had a close friend that I'd known for many years from my hometown area that also had gone. It was his first year. He came to me and he said, Carrie, would you be willing to be a part of a, a prayer session for me? And I said, what's it about? He said, well, you know, there's some guys here from Toccoa Falls. Some students had come from Toccoa Falls uh, College in Georgia, which is one of our alliance schools. They had taught, been mentored by a great New Testament um, professor by the name of Gerald McGraw. And part of Gerald McGraw's teaching efforts was to teach a biblical worldview. And the teaching of the biblical worldview, he uh, began to explain how you can be sent out to free people of unclean spirits. And so he taught this process of testing the spirits and then what to do in a time of deliverance. And my friend said to me, he said, I think I need to go through a time of testing. To see if I have been afflicted with any unclean. Yes, we're scared to use the term. Demonic spirits. I said, yeah, right. You want me in a prayer session on that kind of stuff? Can't I just go back to studying the Bible and how to administrate church work and some of those other nice things? I didn't say that. I said, sure. We met in sort of a little ivory tower chapel on campus. Those three hours rocked my world. 'Cause my friend was afflicted. And as we got into this time of testing, this prayer time which rolled into a deliverance. My friend was freed of there's about seven unclean spirits attached to different things he'd struggled with in life. He found freedom. And it was one of those sessions I look back over the years that I have personally now been involved in doing deliverance work since that time. And it was probably one of the more intense sessions, actually. I sat there as weak as I could as a prayer worker while these other guys from Tacoa led this session. And we rejoiced when my friend was freed. I walked down of that prayer tower that night across campus, back to my apartment, shaken. Shaken, but also pretty jacked up. (laughs) I was shaken because of the reality of the excluded middle is real. Because I couldn't deny what happened in that room, and my friend's not some faker. Fearful because I'm like, well, shoot, if he had that situation, what about me? Fear. Satan tried to seize me with that. But I um, took the initiative and pursued an understanding. And I also offered myself to God to be able to be used in that kind of ministry if that's what it means to be a disciple. Who am I? To determine what his job instructions are for me, I'm a follower of him. I was jacked up, too. I tell you what happens when you take on your authority as a believer, you realize that this is not fairy tale, and that we live in a world where we have the ability to fight from victory for his purposes. As you can see here with these next slides, there's scriptures that I would have liked to gotten to today. That's why we have five weeks. But I would like to articulate some bottom lines. The first is this, you have a domain and it's bigger than you think. The spiritual and supernatural worlds coexist and interrelate in a realm of reality for all humans and nations. Be open-eyed. Don't exclude the middle, living in a world without windows. Second is you have an enemy, and it's not who you think. Our fight is against the devil, and as it says in Ephesians 6, Against his host of rulers and authorities and powers and forces of evil in the unseen realm. Be wise and take your stand against his schemes. For mostly, I mentioned two today ignorance and fear. I've learned over 32 years of deliverance work one big truth. Whether you're in a session, whether you're praying, covering over somebody in your life, or whether you're trying to fight the enemy in your everyday world with your own battles. And that is this, that the only power that Satan has is the fear that you give him. Take your stand against his schemes of ignorance and fear. You have a victor, and he is more than you think. Jesus Christ defeated all enemy hosts through his death and resurrection. Be strong in the Lord, fighting from victory with his divine weapons, destroying oppressive strongholds. Jesus stood up one day in Capernaum. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him in the synagogue. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. <laughs> I like this part. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue went, whew. They looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Been fulfilled in who? In him. As a person in his work. So fourthly, I position this. You have a calling. And it is grander than you think. Disciples of Jesus are workers sent into the harvest fields. Be obedient and go as freedom agents of peace to heal the sick, to tell them that the kingdom of God is near you now. Do you remember that phrase? You should remember that phrase because we closed last week with it. It was when Jesus sent out the 72 in Luke 10. When the 72 disciples, though, returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. I'm sure there was fear. He said, you go, you cast down demons and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God is near, which means my rule and reigns here. You go out, you set the captives free, the oppressed, you bring sight to the blind. Oh, really? They were probably a little scared, but I tell you what, they came back, what? Pretty jacked. Because they saw the power of Jesus and that they were not serving some, you know, impotent kind of Messiah. Their Messiah had full power and reign and authority. Jesus says, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crust rams, analogy to the unclean spirits. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. I'm going to do something as we close. I'm not going to have a sing. If you're an usher, if you go get the offering baskets, we're going to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection cards. I have five minutes to close. But One of the things I'd like to try to do here as we finish up some of these sessions and definitely as we head towards um, the weekend of November 3 and 4, we're going to have a training weekend. If you'd like to be a part of that weekend, just write the word training on the back of your card. Um, I just want to answer questions or hear thoughts. And so for these moments as they're passing uh, passing, uh, passing the baskets, what might be some of your thoughts or maybe a question you might have? Because I want to be able to address and answer questions. Does anybody have any this morning? I know that's pretty cold to throw on you. Maybe you can write them down on a card and put them in the offering. But is there any question you have just in what we were able to step into today? And we'll come back to those scriptures next week and look at them and re-reference things. But I'm very mindful that this is foreign turf for many of us. I'm also mindful that the adversary would like you not to return next week. Ignorance is not bliss in this world. Trust me, folks. And maybe he just wants to put some fear in you with questions or doubts. Anybody just want to shout out one or a word of, you know, reiterating a point, a thought that's shared? All right, so here's the situation. You've now been given four opportunity. Next week when you come, we're going to have more extended time for silence. No. I'd like to have a little bit of a town hall kind of environment. I don't know all the answers in the subject by any means. But it is a world that I've wrestled with, and for whatever reason, I've not felt comfortable given a full-pledge series on this until here at this church in this environment. Some of it's because of the support I just really feel from us as a body. I have spoken on it when I was in college, packed the room out in that college and career ministry. I titled it Demonic Deliverance, Spiritual Warfare in a New Age Society. But it wasn't in a primary church position. I had another series I did once that sort of did on the outskirts of the spiritual realm stuff called Twisted. But other than those two times, and never full on like I felt led to do, and I'm not fully sure yet why God's asked me to do this, but I do believe that he's called us as a church body to engage the unseen. He's called us to empower each believer with the authority of Christ. And he's called us to experience Christ's freedom. Because I believe there's some bondage that's probably in this room because of the adversary. I remember speaking on this when I was in college ministry. Excuse me, this is probably a tangent. It was a good Christian school, one of the two schools that were nearby. But word got back to me when I was trying to teach this to college students, and that was in my really formative years. A lot of times I didn't (laughs) know what I was doing there. But word got back to me that one of the theology professors, practical theology professors, said, oh, there's not a demon within 50 miles of Marion. That was our hometown. Whether or not he actually said it, that word got to me, and I just thought so sad. We live in a world without windows. We live with the excluded middle. I don't want that to be true of us because people are in bondage. And every time I've seen somebody set free through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've thought to myself immediately, what would happen to this person's future if they didn't know or experienced just now the power of Jesus? And so the experience of Christ's freedom is for some of you, I believe, but it's also for some of our friends I believe one of the most powerful apologetics that's going to happen as we move forward, because our world's moving from a modern worldview to a postmodern worldview, and there's much more openness to spirituality now, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, how the world's changing right before our very eyes, is that we as Christians need to be engaged in the battle and show that Jesus is the victor and not be ashamed of it, and we will find people coming to Jesus in droves because they're hungry for knowing the one who is the victor. And so the whole experiencing Christ's freedom for us, but I believe it's going to be one of the ways by which God uses us as a body, not to make us a weird church or label us in some kind of wherever your mind might go if you come out of those backgrounds, but that is a balanced church that holds all truth and tension and is effectively able to move out, to heal the sick, to be able to bring freedom to people, to proclaim the power of Jesus. So thank you for coming this morning. I trust you'll come back again and again and again this week, this month. Pray for our journey. Be blessed. You're dismissed.